Welcome back to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics that matter to you. You were just listening to Let's Talk with John Kane. I'm your host of Driving Forces, Jeff Simmons. Welcome back to WBAI. I'm sure a lot of you who might have been home or had an opportunity to listen in the car today have been focusing on what's going on in Washington, D.C., uh, the, I've been following religiously on the New York Times website uh, while I've moved about the live coverage from the Senate floors. House P- impeachment managers were addressing the articles of impeachment. Uh, this is just fascinating to watch. Uh, polarizing as well. I'm sure you're all noticing that. So as that is going on, a lot of what I enjoy doing here on Driving Forces is bringing you uh, political discussion. And here in New York City, one thing I've been talking about on a number of the shows on this one, as well as City Watch on Sundays, is that the 2021 elections here in New York City are going to be, I can't even come up with the right words, just amazingly frantic and big with possibly 500, they're saying 500 candidates running for all sorts of offices. Your citywide offices are up, like the mayor, the controller, the public advocate. Borough presidencies are up, and the majority of the New York City's uh, 51 council seats are up. And that's why we're here going to have as as many as 500, if not more, candidates running. And in many of the districts here in New York City, we're already seeing people who have started fundraising for those seats. But as some other elections, especially uh, special elections come up, I do want to bring you discussion about them. And on March 24th, voters in Queens are going to head to the polls in a special election for borough president. They're going to choose from among eight candidates at this point. Hold on. Oh, seven candidates at this point. That's right, because one dropped out this week. And we're going to talk about that in a, a moment. A few, uh, what, a week or so ago, it had been nine. Um, one of tonight's guests was to be, or today's guests, was to be New York City Council member Jimmy Van Bramer. He dropped out earlier this week, citing family circumstances. So today, and again this coming Sunday night on City Watch at 6 o'clock, at 5, 6 o'clock, I'll be talking with several of the candidates about this race, why it's important, what issues matter to them, and also what issues matter to you. Because we've heard from a number of you on Twitter in the last 24 hours since we identified that we were going to be doing this. And remember to tag at WBAI or Twitter handle so we can keep checking for these uh, after we had announced tonight's lineup. And joining me in studio today, I'm very happy, uh, is a top New York City journalist who covers Queens and certainly knows much more about Queens politics than I ever will. Sitting with me now, I'd like to welcome Christine Chung, who covers Queens for the city, an online investigative outlet that launched last year. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and for that wonderful introduction. So before we get to the BP race, first tell our listeners a little about you. Uh, introduce yourself to them. Uh, my name is Christine. I cover Queens for the City, which, as you said, is an online local news website. We're a nonprofit um, doing great stuff. Please check us out, thecity.myc. Um, and I cover all of Queens, so that's really the best borough we all know, um, the biggest borough geographically. And I basically just cover everything that's happening that I can get to. Um, I'm only one person, but there's been so many things happening in Queens and politics and development and health. And so I really try to do a little bit of everything. Has the city hit one year, one year anniversary yes, yet? Yes. Um, well, Actually, no, we launched in, I think, April. Um, we've been working for a year because we started preparing for stories. But yeah, not yet one year. And some amazing investigative pieces. In fact, this morning, yours was the first 
one that I had read in exclusive on Accessoride, how it's working or not working. Can you tell our listeners about what you uncovered? Yes. Um, I had a story today about Accessoride, which is the city's paratransit service, which launched in 1990, I believe. Um, and basically, uh, it's not any new news that the service has some issues. There's been a lot of reports and allegations about it being a very unreliable, irregular service, rides that never show up, rides that show up super late, cars that aren't accessible that show up for people who are, you know, have mobility issues. Um, but what I found and with colleagues who helped me report this, um, found that the six centers where Accessoride evaluates people for eligibility for Accessoride um, are not actually that accessible um, by standards that, you know, advocates and users themselves say. And you had noted that uh, there was a range of complaints about poorly trained drivers, inaccessible vehicles, uh, showing up for people w- it, who were in wheelchairs, uh, hour-long waits, and customers that never got picked up. Uh, you should. I want to just point out again. You said the website is thecity.nyc. If anyone wants to check that yes, out, yes, and we're on Twitter at thecityny. So uh, moving over to the borough president's race and politics in Queens, because we're going to bring on our first guest very shortly. You were all over the race for district attorney last year and the uh, race between Tiffany Caban and Melinda Katz. The legal challenge is the recount. You were in the room for that. Talk just a little about the, the evolution of that race and the the progressive movement, because then that, you know, we're going to get into the discussion with the candidates, too, about how progressive they are and if the progressive movement is, you know, behind them. Right. Um, this race, I think, was very interesting in the sense that it seemed to be kind of a referendum on the strength of the Queen's Democratic Party, the political establishment. Um, and people were not really watching this race very carefully. Um, I think in the beginning, uh, most people had written off Tiffany Caban as having no chances. And over the course of a very short period of time, we saw that that was wrong. Um, It was a very exciting race for many reasons, um, including the fact that she was just a very progressive candidate, very much in the mold of AOC, um, which she even said was an inspiration. I'm talking about Tiffany here. Um, And this race was very dramatic, uh, obviously had a lot of national attention on it as well, just because of the kind of progressive movement that's been happening in Queens. Um, and I think that it was riveting because it was so dramatic as well. Um, it obviously came down to a couple recounts. And at the end, I think ultimately a matter of 60 votes uh, that Melinda Katz secured. Yeah, I was following your Twitter feed on those <laughs> nights, just getting the blow by blow. It, it was wild. You taught me how to do threads on Twitter. <laughs> so we're going to get to our first guest. I've got a lot of questions for you as well, but... We can also bring them up with the guests. One of the people running to become the next borough president is New York City Council member Donovan Richards. And when Jimmy Van Bramer dropped out, the political uh, thinking was that he may have solidified his front runner status in this race after Van Bramer's surprise withdrawal. It could also improve the chances of council member Costa Constantinidis, who was competing with Van Bramer to court the liberal vote in, in Western Queens, according to some of those reports. So we're going to talk with Donovan first and then go over to Costa uh, shortly after that, and then talk with a veteran prosecutor in Queens, James Quinn, who's also thrown his hat in the ring. If you don't know anything about Donovan Richards, he is a lifelong Southeast Queens resident, 
first elected to the council in District 31 in March 2013. He's chaired committees like the Committee on Environmental Protection and recently the Committee on Public Safety, which was why I had him on here uh, last fall. And he's got the backing of the Queen's Democratic Organization and unions like the UFT, District Council 37, and as of today, 32, uh, 32BJ, which have which all have very strong get-out-the-vote operations. So welcome to Driving Forces. Hey, how are you, Jeff? How's it going? Good to see you, and also good to see you on Saturday night at Danny Drum's Winter Pride event. I should uh, give that a little oh, plug there. Oh, what a then. fantastic event, yes. Representative of what we all about in Queens, inclusive and diverse. So why pursue this position? Why is this the next position for you? Well, when you think about the challenges that have arisen uh, across the city, but in particular in the borough that continues to grow, uh, Queens, 2.2 million people, I, I think what Melinda Katz moving on, obviously there was the need to ensure that the next borough president would have had the experience and also the lived experience to really carry on uh, the mission of ensuring that the people of Queens' needs are being met. So when you talk about affordability, when you talk about infrastructure, when you talk about safety, you know, these are areas we've led on in the council over the course of the last uh, six to seven years, you know, uh, securing $2.2 billion for 55 projects in southeast Queens, an area that's been flooding for, for close for decades because we've never had the infrastructure. Uh, we're shepherding in close to about 6,000 units of what we call real affordable housing in Queens, not that affordable housing. You know, you look out your window and trying to figure out how to get in, but residents from my neighborhood are actually getting in. We're building a $40 million new library. We're building the newest precinct Queens will see, I think, in the past decades, the 116th precinct, which will also incorporate um, a food pantry and also community center space and plaza space on the outside. So we're bringing together the communities in the police department. And during a time when Amazon is still on a lot of people's minds, I'm happy to just have secured a deal to bring back Bartlett Dairy, formerly known as Elmhurst Dairy, um, to Queens, which is going to bring about 400 union jobs. If you drink Starbucks, you're drinking their milk. Um, so we're bringing those jobs back to Queens, and transportation is still a big struggle. We were able to work with the mayor to bring f permanent ferry service to Queens. So we've led on just about every issue um, you could think about, and we want to take that experience to Borough Hall. Great. Hi, Councilmember. How's it going, Christine? Hi. Here. How you doing? Good, thank hey, you. Um, just wanted to ask you, so if you're elected, what would be the first thing that you would do in office, the first thing that you'd prioritize? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is really re -look, take a look at the community boards. Obviously, there are 700 uh, members on the community boards. There's 14 community boards, and we want to make sure that diversity is obviously a big part of what we look at. You know, we want to see more people on the boards with lived experiences, especially as Queens um, continues to evolve. You know, we need to make sure that the residents who've also been in the communities are really reflective of the community boards. But without a doubt, housing is the number one issue that I think we need to tackle immediately coming in. Um, I want to create a zoning task force. I'm not going to wait for city planning and the, and the de Blasio administration to come to me with a plan on where I think upzoning is going to happen. Um, we want to work with communities day one to start looking at a plan. Um, 
that we can bring to the city to say uh, these are particular areas I think there's a possibility for us to grow uh, in light of the homeless crisis. You know, there are one in ten kids in my district live in a homeless shelter who go who are in the school system. Um, so we that's the number one issue. No matter where you're at in Queens, we've done like a hundred debates. It's across ethnic lines. It's across um, socioeconomic lines. Housing is absolutely the number one thing on Queens members' minds. So uh, when Christine and I had posted on Twitter that we were going to be interviewing candidates uh, today on uh, on WBAI, we started to get a number of suggestions of topics to ask about. And a few of them came down to issues that have been in the news, such as uh, the vendor the vendor laws uh, or yep. the cap on ven- vending in New yep. York City. What are your view? What's your view on that? Do you think that we should relax the cap? That there should be more ability to set up uh, food carts on our streets? Should there be more uh, an allowance for more vending permits this coming year? Absolutely, I think that we have to find a medium on this topic. You know, when you think about. Um, the needs to ensure that more residents are getting jobs. Obviously, also just from a public safety standpoint, right? We've seen um, churros ladies getting arrested, mm-hmm. you know, in the subway. This absolutely has to be a pathway for us to expand um, vending in, in Queens, but it also has to be done in a responsible way in consultation, working with communities, making sure we're talking to small businesses as well. Um, so it's something I'm supportive of. Um, and, you know, we look forward to seeing that certainly happen, but it has to be done in a way that ensures that our small businesses can also still survive and thrive, but also we create new opportunities for communities as well. And then the other thing we see is obviously we've seen enforcement in some of these areas. We've seen this, you know, time and time on Twitter. And we need to ensure that there are more opportunities for people um, to vend across the city, period. So you so you support lifting the cap? Yeah, I support lifting the cap, but once again, it has to be done in consultation with local communities. And I think you know, if there are bids, uh, business improvement districts that certainly are in areas, we should be working collectively with them as well. But it has to be done in consultation with communities. And you know, one of the things that's being lost in politics is people talking. And we have to figure out, even when we disagree, how to all sit at the table and work together to make sure that we build out plans better. So I know when I had you on last, we talked about one of your initiatives to provide mental health, stronger mental health services for members of the NYPD. Something else that was present in the news at that point were uh, the criminal justice reforms that were on the horizon, which went into yep. effect early this year, only well within January the last 1st, yeah. Yeah, January 1st. Yep. There's been a lot of pushback. The Daily News had a, a front page story the other day on a an alleged bank robber that had, was even surprised he was released once again. What do you think should happen? Should uh, the law stand as is? Do you think, though, given some of the concerns that are being raised, that it's time to look at it and possibly revise it? Well, I'm one who likes to look at numbers, and, you know, I, I studied NYPD's Comstat like 3 in the morning. <laughs> uh, um, and it, it, when you look at Comstat, for instance, murders are down. I mean, we had we had 12 murders at this time last year. We're, we're at four right now, right? Shootings are down, right? So any time reforms are being put in place, there's always this, the sky is going to fall 
um, scenario um, that people play out. But let me remind people why bill reform had to happen in the first place. It had to happen because people like um, Khalif Browder obviously could not mm-hmm. afford $500 bill and certainly suffered a lot more uh, for false accusations than, per se, a Harvey Weinstein who could afford millions of dollars of bail um, and who's a predator, clearly. So there's obviously two justice systems. There's one for white people and there's one for people of color. And we just have to start with that premise when you when you talk about the need to ensure bail reform. And no, people should not be held simply um, because they cannot afford bail. And I like to remind people that these are detainees. And I know one of the candidates who are going to be on the phone with you has been given statistics, and the statistics are all wrong. Um, but these are individuals who reside in the United States of America. And last we checked, you are innocent till proven guilty. And just because you do not can't afford bail does not mean that you should be um, stuck in a place like Rikers Island, which is doing nothing to actually rehabilitate you. So um, to get to the answer, um, Right now, we're only about, what, uh, 23 days in um, to bail reform. There's been a lot of sensationalism around this, a lot of headlines. And do we want dangerous people um, held? Absolutely. And I don't, I don't think there's anything in this law that precludes that from really happening. Um, of course, we've seen an uptick in hate crimes. And any individuals who are out there posing a danger to the public should be held accountable. But I think we're 23 days in. It's too early, and when you look at the NYPD's Comstat numbers, it's very clear that the sky has not fallen. And the other thing, let me just remind people, is that it's supervised release. So it's not like individuals out there. There have been thousands of people released um, in the last 23 days. And there are individuals who are working with nonprofits, and obviously the program needs to ramp up more. We've heard concerns from some of the district attorneys on this. Um, so the support systems have to be in place. There has to be monitoring. But, you know, literally the wheels have just <laughs> been put on the truck, and we need to uh, examine this a little bit closer. And guess what? If it's not working <laughs> in, in a few months, then the state senate obviously would have an obligation in the assembly to look at it. But we're 23 days in. Got it. Um, Going back to Amazon, which has been another topic in the race, you did say that you supported it back then, said that its departure was a loss for Queens. Um, Obviously, right now in Long Island City, there's conversation about the city, the state, EDC, developing the former, you know, waterfront parcel where Amazon would have gone. It's a mix of public and private parcels, I believe. What do you think about this this proposal? Well, I think let's let's just start off with with, with what went wrong originally on Amazon, and there was no real community consultation. And obviously, every project we've done, whether the community agrees a hundred percent, whether the community board agrees a hundred percent, is another story. But the point is, is that there was always a big. Um, uh, emphasis put on community visioning and communities coming out and having an opportunity to weigh in on what um, a project would look like. And that means public housing residents. That means the Jewish people of my community. Everybody had an uh, opportunity in one of the most diverse communities like the Rockaways to weigh in. We had EDC at people's kitchen tables. My rezoning was the only rezoning in the city of New York to be passed by a community board, my neighborhood rezoning, and partly because not everybody agreed on it, but the community participation um, really was the priority um, 
that we pushed, and, and because of that, I believe we came out successful, and you see hammers in the ground now in the Rockaways uh, after 40 years of blight. So I think there are lessons to be learned, and critique. there were rightful critiques that were made mm-hmm. um, when it came to the Amazon project mm-hmm. on, on that specific topic. But I think, you know, I want to hear a little bit more from the community, but obviously mixed use is something that, Um, most communities are looking for. People are looking for real affordable housing. People are looking for more open space. People are looking for commercial opportunities. Um, So I've I've actually started to have conversations with um, some of the development team up there and have sort of heard what their vision is. But one of the things we always stress is that your vision could be your vision, but without the community's vision, it's just economic development. It's not actually what we can want to see, which is community development. So just we anticipate you'll be doing a lot. Just a quick follow-up, though. Um, when mm-hmm, you say you've mm-hmm. been having meetings with the developers, is this with... No, I didn't have meetings with them. I'm just saying that we've we've been briefed, been briefed. on um, what, what could possibly happen there. Um, but it's very early on still. Yeah. Briefed by Corey Johnson's office or briefed by... We've talked to people who actually have some of the parcels okay. up there already. Yeah. So- We've got just a few minutes left, and I've got Mm -hmm. a million topics for you, but I'm going to do them very, very quickly. One that has come up, that has come up repeatedly, uh, and that I, you know, I'm fixated on this. Christine knows this. I talked with her the first time I met with her about this placard abuse. Uh, we got a few tweets on that as well, that something has to be done. So we're going to pose this to the candidates. It actually came up in the DA's race as well. What do you think should be done to address this problem? Well, we had a hearing on this um, topic um, uh, just about a month ago, and I think you know. For now, obviously, we've heard a lot of complaints in parts of Western Queens when it comes to the to the police, and obviously, the, the council has passed a package of bills around it. Um, but obviously, every precinct needs to come up with an actual parking plan. <laughs> you know, that's just the bottom line. You know, there has to be an actual parking plan um, for police officers to actually um, park their cars in a way that does not um, block bike lanes um, and endanger cyclists. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So that's something uh, we held a hearing on last month. Uh, obviously, there's now a new um, transportation commissioner in the NYPD who will be working with, and I'll be seeing the police commissioner next week to sort of get an update. But we were actually looking at some legislation that would just require every precinct to come up with a parking plan in New York City. And there are parts, you know, you go to some parts of Queens, like even for downtown Far Rockway, and I'm not giving any um, excuse to the officers. I mean, there's no parking in some in some places. So DOT really needs to work with communities to, to relax some of the parking regulations in some places and provide opportunities for some of these individuals to park their cars. But let me say this. If we had a transit system that was actually working in the first place, we would probably get people out of their cars. So I think the number one thing we should do is ensure that public transportation is working. You know, you, you, we, the MTA has recently released a, a bus plan that does not you know where I was going next. cut service <laughs> in some places, right? And Lou is saying they're speeding it up. So how are you going to get people out of their cars? I'm happy to have, be working with the Queens delegation led by Karen. And uh, we actually just sent a letter to them saying that, you know, this plan is flawed. And we need to really have some more community input before anything is put into place. So in, so in the final two minutes, breaking news today, Andy Byford announced his resignation. Your thoughts on that? Do you think it was time for him to go or do you think he was pushed out by the governor? You know, what, how would you briefly describe the job that he did? 
Uh, you know, I don't want to speculate on, on why he's leaving, um, but I want to say one thing that Andy did differently. And, you know, I've been I've been at the council for, for about seven years now, um, prior to that, 10 years <laughs> as a staffer, and we always had a hard time with communication when it came to the MTA. And I would say he did a, a heck of a job ensuring that he was actually reaching out to communities. Um, I had never seen an actual uh, president in Southeast Queens. I mean, he came and did town halls. And even early on, you know, there was an issue where um, they did not do the outreach um, early enough, but he came back was the point. Like, we've never seen MTA chiefs in our part of the world. Um, sad to say he's leaving now because we had one planned for Rockaway, which is also a transit desert as well. So I think he did the best he could with the tools he had, um, and I'm hoping whoever comes in after him will pick up where he left off um, and ensuring that there was a lot more outreach to, to local communities. Um, but overall, I would say um, did he make a better effort in, ensuring, effort in ensuring that our trains ran better? I mean, yes, but... For those of us who take the train, we know that we still have a long way to go to ensuring that public transportation is working um, for every part of the city, but especially the transit deserts in Queens. How can people learn more about you and your campaign? Um, so you can go to richardsfornewyork.com, and that's our, our, our website. And uh, you could find out some of our policy issues, some of the things that we're going to uh, we're continuing to prioritize. But I'm happy with our record. I mean, many of the things that we've heard at the debates, uh, many of the things that are on people's minds, like we've had a front row seat in policy and budgetary items and to ensure that we can move Queens forward. And we look forward to doing it for every part of Queens. My district is the template of where I think Queens can go. Councilman Donovan Richards, thank you for joining us here on WBAI today. Thank you so much. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. So we're going to go right to our next guest, uh, another New York City Council member, Costa Constantinidis, uh, who now doesn't have to compete with Jimmy Van Bramer for some of the same progressive votes in Western Queens uh, that also uh, had been against Amazon's pursuit of that Long Island City location and also had turned out strongly for Tiffany Caban. Uh, he represents the council's 22nd district, uh, which includes his native Astoria, as well as Rikers Island, parts of my neighborhood, uh, Jackson Heights, Woodside, and East Elmhurst, as chair of the Environmental Protection Committee since 2015. He has been committed to fighting the effects of climate change and keeping it from forever changing the city's landscape. Welcome to Driving Forces. Ah, thank you for having me on. Really excited to be here. Okay, so we're asking some of the same questions, but why do you want to be the next BP? You know, I really believe what happens uh, in the next 10 years is really going to determine uh, the next 100 uh, when you talk about climate. Uh, we in the borough president with a, a real plan to deal with climate change, Queens being the most vulnerable and the largest borough of the city. Uh, so it's, you know, whether it's using the budgetary power to solarize and green roof every city building, whether it's uh, appointing deputy borough president for sustainability, uh, whether it's you know investing in our park space, to make sure we are making ourselves more sustainable. That also prepares us for the 21st century and sets us up for opportunities for our young people to invest in our educational spaces uh, and to give them that you know career technical education and, and the window into the future that we can give them through these new technologies. We can prepare you know. Green jobs make green, Queens the green center of, of the, the universe and provide really good jobs there. 
Um, you know, I'm running from a lifelong Queens resident who rides the trains and the buses and knows that uh, we need to have a real seat at the table. And for too long, you know, people in Westchester and Nassau County have been making decisions for Queens residents. And we've seen that just this past few weeks with the bus plan. Uh, I really believe a borough president needs to be out of Queens Boulevard, having satellite offices and neighborhoods. Uh, working with the immigrant communities that comprise Queens, and that, you know, we should be coming up with our own, you know, living document transit plan, and then having a, a, an appointment to the MTA board to ensure that we are able to protect Queens residents. I, I think we have a real plan to get all of these things done within the powers of, of the office. Um, you recently had announced that you had this plan, right, to get the BPs a voice on the MTA board, which currently doesn't mm-hmm. allow that or doesn't enable that. Um, have you had any progress on this idea, any conversations with the other borough presidents that are currently in office to further this idea in a more concrete I've way? Had really, I've had some really great conversations with our state legislators uh, who recognize that, uh, you know, Putnam County, you know, 98,602 people which is approximately half my council district, have more of a say on the MTA board than we do here in Queens. Hmm. And they, you know, our state legislators, a number of them are, you know, looking at the possibility of legislation. And I think that's the sort of partnerships that I can sort of put together as borough president. It's putting out policy, have policy-heavy ideas that we can then move in the state legislature or the city council that can better Queens residents' lives. So, uh, like Jimmy Van Bramer, you had... Uh, very publicly opposed the Amazon deal, but support for Amazon or opposition to Amazon was not universal in the borough. How do you sell your candidacy to people in Queens who might have been or might be focused on the potential loss of jobs and the economic impact of Amazon not coming here? I mean, Amazon was a bad deal for Queens. Uh, you know, we I had so many families come up to me and talk about um, how is this going to affect the affordability of our neighborhood? Will I be able to stay? Uh, what, is, what is the transit going to look like? You know, the, the seven train, the N train, our trains are already jammed. How, do we, how are we going to get to work? There was no real plan. Um, I think as borough president, I can put, put forth real plans. And then when, you know, Mike, the Climate Mobilization Act that I passed last year, which was the largest emissions reduction policy in the country, Urban Green Council says it's going to create 141,000 jobs over 10 years. You know, with career technical education, with creating pathways to union labor, we can bring those jobs to Queens. And I want to make sure that we are leading in the green economy, um, that, and so we can make sure that the 21st century is, is Queens' century, and that we can make sure that we are uh, leading the way when it comes to creating those good, sustainable, middle-class, green jobs of the future. Street vending has been another issue that uh, has come up again and again. Do you support decriminalizing street vending and lifting the caps on permits and licenses? I think we have to make sure we do policy uh, that works for everyone. Um, you know, we, we want to make sure everyone, you know, the Queens is uh, the most diverse place in the world. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that we celebrate that diversity, and part of that is the food that we eat. And, you know, those hardworking men and women who are out there, uh, you know, selling that food, um, we want to make sure that they're, it's done in a safe way, that it's done in a way that uh, is balanced with the needs of the small businesses, of, of the business corridors, uh, you know, we want to make sure that it's done in a way that's sustainable, that uh, the trucks are not putting out uh, pollution into the air. Uh, I think that there's a way to do this, and that also affects the health of the workers that are having to work long shifts in trucks where generators going all the time. I think there's a way to do this uh, together uh, in partnership at the table that can accomplish all of these goals and, and, 
and make it easier for those men and women who are working so hard to, to, to make a living here. So going over to flushing, um, there's obviously a lot of community concern right now about a proposed special flushing waterfront district rezoning um, that would add something like 3 million square feet of new luxury development. Uh, what are your thoughts on this project? You know, this I've been hearing a lot of different things about it. I know at the end of the day, we have to do things that are in the long-term interest of Queens. I'm not sure building, building, building is that, especially on waterfront where – uh, we have challenges around resiliency and sustainability. What is that going to add to uh, Flushing Bay, Flushing Creek? Uh, what is that going to add to our waterways as far as pollution? What's the long-term plan there? Uh, I think there are lots of, you know, affordability. We don't want to be able, you know, rising seas and rising rents are forcing people out of their homes. Uh, we want to make sure there's a real affordability uh, in the, when we're building in our communities and there's labor components attached to it. Um, so I'm, I'm still... You know, gathering data, but I mean, I'm definitely have a lot of concerns about any building that we have that it, you know it's affordable, that it, there's labor components attached to it, and that it's not going to contribute uh, to uh, you know climate change. So you're listening to Driving Forces with uh, me, Jeff Simmons, on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm joined in studio by Christine Chung of The City, and we're now talking with New York City Council member and borough president candidate Costa Constantinidis. How are you going to distinguish yourself among the seven candidates to appeal to voters? You know, I believe we have a real plan and a record that backs it up on, you know, Fighting climate change, we passed you know 32 bills over six years, including the largest emissions reduction policy in the country. Uh, we talk about investing in education. We've been able to get kids out of trailers in District 22 and invest in hydroponic science labs, uh, science and technology in the classrooms that we want to do for every school in Queens. When I talk about solarizing uh, every and green roofing every city building, we're already doing that in Council District 22. And we know we need to do that to reduce our carbon footprint and create opportunities for the future. We talk about a transit plan. Uh, I'm the only candidate talking about what needs to be actually be done. Um, you know, whether it's you know, getting an MTA board member or developing our own transit plan with communities that we can then hold the Department of Transportation accountable and uh, you know make sure that DOT and that the, the mayor's office, the governor's office, are all being held accountable by the residents of Queens. You know, we have a plan to make all of these things happen and more. Uh, and I think that's what distinguishes us is our plans for the future. Because, you know, you know, the, you know, what, you know, what happens here in Queens over the next 10 years is going to determine our long-term health. Uh, right now, there's a lot of discussion um, about uh, school integ- integration plans across the city. Um, there's some fervent community discussion happening right now in District 28. Wondering what your thoughts are about school integration plans and diversity in schools. You know, Boosting we need to, diversity you know, in schools. I know we need, you know, we see it, it's immoral and illegal um, to segregate our schools. We have to make sure that we are, that our diversity is our strength. We cannot have schools that are segregated. Uh, we need to bring, we need to find a way forward. That's, that's through building new schools. Uh, that's through making investments in every school to make sure that every school has the resources they need. As the borough president, uh, I'll have access to 40 to $70 million a year of city capital um, that can uh, make sure that there's science in the classrooms, that there's STEM and coding in the classrooms, that there's, you know, we get technology into every classroom and every, you know, every classroom in the borough of Queens because too often 
uh, are you know, there's differences in communities on, on the resources they get. We can make sure every school gets the resources they need. We can get kids out of trailers. I know from my own experience, my son being in trailers just right here in western Queens. We, we lead the city in the number of trailers here in Queens. We have to get rid of them, have 21st century spaces. When you build those spaces, they're going to be diverse. We have to make sure um, that we're doing that. And then as county executive, um, it's, it's fighting to, to end segregation in schools and making sure lending my voice uh, to the chorus of those that recognize that we have to come up with real solutions to these problems. And we've got just about two minutes left. I do want to ask one question of each candidate that I speak with. Christine knows where I'm going with this. Placard abuse. This is something that I personally have, I mean, I witness this all the time, and I have neighbors who get disgruntled about this, too. As borough president, would you use this as, you know, use the bully pulpit that you would have to address something like this? What should be done about placard abuse? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, in the city council, we passed legislation um, to cut down on placard abuse. No one should be uh, getting a benefit from their city job from uh, you know, that type of benefit, right? Like, you, you, that's not what should be happening. Um, so, you know, I do my best as a council member um, to work with these types of issues. We see too often, um, you know, I know my, my colleague was talking about this as well, but you look at our precincts. I've been working with DOT and the, the, the police department to come up with creative solutions to uh, deal with these type of issues. As borough president, I would take that a step further. And I think also it's, you know, making sure that we, are redesigning our streets to, to be safe, and that then once we redesign our streets, they, they, have, they have to remain clear. So we can't have you know, cars that are parked in our bike lanes, in our crosswalks, uh, that you know, are blocking the way. Um, so there's a way forward here, and as, as the county executive, you know, I would definitely lend my voice to it. And we've got just about a minute left. How can people learn more about you and your campaign and the work that you've been doing? Great. Um, they can go to uh, you know, votecosta.com. Uh, you know, my last name is a little too long to keep that in the uh, <laughs> in the website, uh, but it's votecosta.com. They can go to Costa for New York on social media. Um, they can hear about our plans for to combat climate change, our plans for having an accessibility coordinator for the borough of Queens, um, how we're going to create an office of outreach and diversity with satellite offices uh, throughout the borough, like they do in Manhattan, where Gail Brewer has an office uptown because she recognizes that you know, the whole borough shouldn't have to come to one location that we should be reaching out. Um, so we have you know, plenty of ideas on how we can do the borough, pre- rethink and transform how the borough presidency is done. And, and they can see our plans there at votecosta.com. Council member Costa Constantinidis and borough president candidate Costa Constantinidis, thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI today. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to being back again at some point. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. So we've got another guest on the line the third of the seven candidates who are running. We're not doing all seven today. I'm going to have several others on on Sunday, and I'll tell you about that later in the show. But our final guest today is James Quinn. He served as an ADA in the Queens County DA's office for more than four decades. He was a late entry into this race, a lifelong Queens resident. He's positioning himself as a crime fighter in his campaign literature, and he's been vocal in his opposition to the recent criminal justice reforms. He's also a Richmond Hill resident, and some of the roles he had in the uh, district attorney's office, executive assistant district attorney, chief of the Narcotics Investigations Bureau, deputy chief of homicide, and criminal trial assistant. He's tried over 30 murder cases and prosecuted hundreds of career criminals. Welcome to Driving Forces. 
Well, thank you for having me. So I read much of your bio. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners who you're introducing yourself uh, to for the first time? Any other titles? Any other titles? <laughs> Any other titles? Isn't that enough? I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was the senior executive assistant DA in the DA's office uh, under Judge Brown, um, which essentially was the, the number three person in the office under the DA. Um, I managed uh, the, the portion of the office that I managed was comprised of about 150 assistant DAs and about an equal number of support staff. Uh, there were seven different bureaus that I, I worked on um, that worked under me. Uh, but I'm also married. Um, I have four children and I have four grandchildren. Uh, my wife grew up in Sunnyside, uh, so I have a title of uh, husband, father, grandfather. Um, and those are all good titles, too. They're great titles, <laughs> especially so, grandfather. <laughs> so let me ask this. What was the the moment where you said, you know what, I have to run for this seat. That's, that's interesting because, um, I mean, as I said, I've, I've been in the DA's office for 42 years and my entire life has been involved with the criminal justice system. Uh, and during that time, we're not allowed to be involved in politics in any partisan way, in any major partisan way. And I've been out of politics, you know, except for you know, an occasional dinner or something like that, that I might go to for a friend of mine or whatever. But, you can't be involved in 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 uh, party politics. So, you know, I've been watching the changes that have been um, made in the criminal justice system uh, over the last year or so, the last two years, uh, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating watching what they are doing to a criminal justice system that everybody describes as broken, but it's a system that's brought crime down almost 80% in New York City over the last 25 years. And I wanted a, you know, I've been very outspoken on um, the, the mayor's plan to close Rikers Island. Uh, I've been speaking about that for the last, I guess, almost two and a half to three years now. I've gone around to a lot of community meetings. Um, and I would say it's probably around mid-December of last year that I really seriously thought about running for DA, uh, running for borough president. Um, and... I wanted a platform to talk about these issues because I don't think they were ever really discussed uh, in any real uh, measure with the public. And I, I, I don't think that the, the public understands what these changes in like the bail laws mean for them. And I don't think a lot of legislators really understand what, what they've done. Uh, and I want to be that voice for those people who, who oppose these laws. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that you just had a little bit of a slip and said running for DA. Obviously, this is running for BP. Uh, you did correct right. yourself. But <laughs> right. you're, well, I've been you, a DA for 42 years. <laughs> an ADA, right? Senior ADA. I've always introduced myself as an ADA. <laughs> right. um, but we do have to point out that a BP generally doesn't have that much influence in criminal justice issues. Uh, it's more of, to my knowledge, more of a position about influencing land use, kind of zoning type things happening in the borough, and also a lot of influence in appointing how community boards literally look. So how do you think a BP has the power? Like, How would it be that you would implement some of these changes which you're trying to you know, make happen? Well, let, me, let me back up a bit. I mean, I think... Um if I had been borough president when these issues were being voted on and discussed in the city council, I think there would have been a much more uh, robust discussion about Rikers Island for mm -hmm. once. Um, I mean, Rikers Island is a, it's one of the biggest land use projects uh, in Queens County in a long time, one of the most public, uh, one of the biggest public land use projects. 
I mean, they're talking about building a 20 to 30 story jail uh, right in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Um, I mean, as borough president, it, it, it's, I, I mean, a lot of people describe it as, in some circumstances, it can be a bully pulpit. And this is a bully pulpit on something that really affects the lives of the people of this county. I think that, you know, there are two ways you can look at the office. One is that um, what you can do um, politically to change it and what you can do. I mean, if I were to get elected and it, were cl- it was clear that my two, two of my main points are not closing Rikers and changing the bail laws, I think that would send a message through the political establishment in this county and this city um, that would have real effect. I mean, we're, we're watching what's happening with the bail laws now where every other day there's another defendant who was released under the bail laws who mm-hmm. gets rearrested. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many of those do we have to look at before people, you know, that the politicians understand that they made a mistake and they change those laws? And I think electing me would send them that message that they have to change those laws and that we don't want Rikers Island built in the middle of Kew Gardens. Got it. Um, and so, obviously, you spent a long time in the DA's office, something like 40 years, right? Um, 42. 42, wow. During that, <laughs> during that time, and you oversaw, I think you said, something like 150 ADAs that you managed. Um, yes. That's a lot of people. What in that role did you do to correct or prevent ADA misconduct in that office, a topic which WNYC has recently reported on extensively? We did. Uh, you know, the, DA Brown was... Um, he was an appellate division judge before he became DA. Um, he was very, very serious about dealing with ADA misconduct. We fired a couple of ADAs for serious misconduct. A lot of the, the misconduct, you know, I'm going to give you that in quotes. Um, whenever an ADA mistake, made a mistake in court, it was always described as prosecutorial misconduct. When a judge made a mistake, it was judicial error. When a defense attorney made a mistake, it was ineffective assistance of counsel. So every mistake by an ADA, whether it was, you know, uh, suborning perjury, which is extremely rare, or just making a misstatement during a summation was described the same way as prosecutorial misconduct. I think it's been uh, overblown in the media. Um, You know, we did an analysis one time of the number of cases that were actually um, overturned because of prosecutorial misconduct, and it was a very tiny minority of reversals over the last 20 years. Uh, and when Judge Brown came in, the number of reversals for prosecutorial misconduct actually went down over the years before. So um, we would discipline ADAs. Any time a case came back and was reversed because of something an ADA did, uh, Judge Brown would send a copy of the decision down to me. I would meet with the ADA, or I would have the bureau chief meet with the ADA, and we'd discuss it with them. Um, most of the time, it was... Uh, it, it was not a, a, I'm looking for a word, a venal error. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. a mistake. Sometimes things that are said in the second department are not allowed by the judges, by the, by the second department court of appeals, but they are allowed in the first department court, uh, I'm sorry, uh, second department appellate division, but they are allowed in the first department, which is Manhattan. Um, sometimes the mistakes that were made were um, uh, I mean sometimes it, it, it's very let me just back up it's very rare that 
a mistake is by an assistant DA is made because of real serious misconduct on the part of the assistant DA. We have training programs. Whenever a, a, a case got reversed in the appellate division, um, we would add that to our training sessions so that ADAs know that they're not supposed to do that. Um, the ADA who was the offender would be spoken to. Uh, if it were repeat, uh, repeat offenders, those ADAs would not get promoted. They would be um, moved to other bureaus where they're not making those types of decisions. Um, and it, it involved a lot of training. And, so, you know, the ADAs are, are they're good people. They're not evil people. We've just got a few minutes left, and, and I'm sorry if I, like, um, I'm brief with uh, some of these questions. Street vending. Do you think we need to decriminalize street vending and lift the caps on permits and licenses? Well, there, there are two different uh, issues. I mean, if uh, – look, we have laws, all right? And the laws are there for a certain reason. It depends what you're dealing with street vending. If you're talking about street vending with food um, – it's That's a health issue. About, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's, it's a health issue. I mean, we require restaurants to be inspected. Uh, we require certain um, sanitary conditions in restaurants. Certain wage um, and labor conditions have to exist. Um, and to say we're going to decriminalize street vendors, well, you know, what does that do to the restaurants? <laughs> I mean, somebody can just open up a cart and there's no real inspection of those people. What does it do to a restaurant that's paying real property taxes and and uh, collect and income taxes and sales tax and and all the other taxes that sustain the city? When anybody could come along and put a card up in front of them. And another question we've been asking the candidates tonight is about placard corruption. Uh, if they see this as a significant issue, and uh, what you would do about it as borough president. And placard corruption is a. It's, it's one of those things that people on the street really, really dislike, um, and I really dislike it. When I was an assistant DA, I had a plaque, but I rarely, rarely used it. Um, not when I, was, when I was an executive assistant DA, I had one, but I rarely used it. I mean, the city has given out tens of thousands of placards, uh, which I, I don't understand. I mean, Mayor de Blasio gave them out to um, unions that favored him. To the people in those unions who favored him, I think that those that those people should be, you know, people who abuse them should be ticketed, and that would stop it. Uh, just one more question for me. Um, I've recently learned that you actually, in order to make it onto the ballot for March 24th, you got the support of the Queen's Republican Party, um, even though you are a registered Democrat. If you make it to the primary, would you run on the Republican line? Will you do a Wilson Pakula and, as a Democrat, run as a Republican? run on the Republican line as a Democrat? Yes, that's possible. Yeah, I would welcome the support of any parties. Are they helping I, you I, fundraise? Uh, yeah, but, uh, a lot of people help me fundraise. I've got Democrats helping me. I've got Republicans. I've got conservatives. I've got independents. Right, right. I've I should rephrase then. Is the Queen's Republican Party helping you fundraise? Yes. Got it. So we've got just about a minute left, and I really want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners who might live in Queens and be voting in this election why you would like them to vote for you. All right. I think uh, the easiest thing for me to say is that I've been in this office, in the DA's office, for 42 years. I've spent my entire life 
fighting crime and trying to keep people safe. I want to continue doing that as borough president. If you're happy with the way things are going in this city now, if you're happy with the condition of the subways, if you're condition, happy with the, the, um, the, the condition of the streets, do you feel safer going out today than you did four years ago or eight years ago? Um, if, if, if you're concerned about the future of this city and the safety of this city, vote for me. And if you want to stop the building of a prison in Kew Gardens and you want to get these bail laws changed, vote for me and it will send shockwaves through the political community. You can vote for the other guys and you can get the other guys and gal and you're going to get more of the same. And how should people learn more about you if they want to get involved in your campaign or contact you? You can go to jimquinnforqueens.com. Thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI today. Okay. Thank you. So, Christine, we've got just a few minutes left. uh, And I'd like to just get your thoughts on something we discussed before the show started about the progressive movement and how you had covered a lot of their uh, involvement with the uh, race for district attorney, but it doesn't seem like they're involved in this race. No, yeah, it seems like a lot of the people who supported the groups, the grassroots groups who supported Tiffany Caban during the district attorney's race are kind of sitting this one out. Obviously, we've seen some of the candidates kind of take up the issues, criminal justice issues like uh, Mr. Quinn um, in this race. But when it comes to people on the ground and the same issues, we're not really seeing that. um, And I'm not sure why. And some of the folks who were aligned with the progressive movement did throw their support behind candidates like Zephyr Teachout right. and for Jimmy Van Bramer. Uh, I want to keep saying Miranda, Cynthia Nixon. Mm-hmm. Also for Jimmy Van Bramer. <laughs> yeah, also for Jimmy Van Bramer there. So final also in the final two minutes. What are you going to be working on in the coming weeks? What are I know you can't reveal when it's investigative. <laughs> I know we can't go there. But when it comes to the race, if you're going to be following the race, what right, are the types right. of things you want to look at? I believe the next campaign finance disclosure deadline is the 21st. So obviously, I'll be looking at that. Um, one thing that will be, I think, all of the Queen's reporters will be looking at will also be, uh, you know, whether or not the matching funds, when those are going to kick in, the city's matching funds. And there's something else, you know, I meant to do this at the top of the show. This is not the only election for Queens BP. You pointed out that there's multiple ones. Right, right. Um, There are going to be five elections in the next two years, (laughs) Um, something I wrote about a couple weeks ago. Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a crazy situation. It's wild. Basically, in order to not only fill the vacancy, which Melinda Katz, now DA, left, um, and then... Get another four, get another four years, and then also, uh, you know, actually win to fill out the rest of her term. They have to run five times in two years. It's a it's a marathon. And it's interesting because those seats will be four years, but the city council seats that are going to come up in twenty twenty one would be two years. So uh, we oh, finally, once again, how can people learn more about you and your work? Um. I'm I'm everywhere. I'm online. What's your um, Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Chris Y. Chung. No, I don't go by Chrissy, but it's at Chris Y. Chung, and I write for The City, which is our super great online local news website. Please check us out at the city NY, thecity.nyc. Christine, thank you so much for joining me here in studio at WBAI. Coming up this Sunday on WBAI City Watch, I'm going to be joined in studio by David Brand, your competitor of the <laughs> Queen's friend. Da- your friend and competitor, friendly competition among the media of the Queen's Daily Eagle. We will also talk with 
former New York City Council member Elizabeth Crowley, who this past period was the top fundraiser, and former NYPD Sergeant Anthony Miranda. Two, these two candidates are also running to become the next Queen's VP. That show starts at 6. Please, just like we did, saw in the last 24 hours, tweet me your questions. My Twitter handle is at Jack Heights, J-A-C-K-H-I-T-E-S, because I live in Jackson Heights. I'll go through them and ask a number on the show as well, uh, just like Christine and I did today. Thanks again for listening to today's edition of Driving Forces. Now stay tuned for the evening news with Paul DiRienzo.